Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio, and you're in for a treat. Uh, I hope you have your paper and pencil ready. You are going to learn a lot. Today's guest is Michael A. Donahue. He's a recognized senior and passionate brand leader, proven innovative and, uh, and uh, anticipatory champion of relevant change management. He is a proven, intuitive, customer-centric advocate for over 40 years at senior levels in some of the largest companies that you have all heard of. Welcome, Michael. Thank you very much, Lee. It's an honor to be here with you today. I am so excited to pick your brain here and get your thoughts on the world of associations. Um, tell uh, the listener a little bit about your background. Uh, I know you spent a lot of your years with McDonald's, but you've been involved in associations, it seems like, for a very, very long time. Yeah, and I pride myself on that, uh, Lee. The diversity has given me a, a kind of a unique perspective because I started out in the trade association business back in 1980, uh, 1980, coming out of college as a, uh, um, I was one of the first public relations contract majors. They didn't even have PR and earned media back then uh, at uh, the fine institute we call the Harvard of the Midwest, Illinois State University. And uh, so I, I came out of there and I be- immediately got an intern with a local state senator and I started working down in Springfield, Illinois, in politics. I was from the Chicago area. And then um, immediately got hired away. I realized what a breeding ground state capitals were at that time with Ronald Reagan, the Tenth Amendment, bringing items back to the state level. And a group called the National Federation of Independent Business, the nation's largest trade association for small business owners. I think the vast majority have. 10 employees or less of their members, they hired me as part of this trend of getting back to the States to cover the Midwest area. And it was a great experience learning the association business from, you know, small business owners that were real entrepreneurs that had real problems. I migrated. Then I got hired from them uh, because of our success. We actually repealed the state inheritance tax at that time. Of course, they, they, put it back on later. But uh, the governor, uh, Thompson, uh, who was governor for 14 years, a uh, very strong governor, they called him governor for life. He saw the work I had done with this small business group, and he was a moderate Republican and needed help. And he brought me in and uh, had me run his uh, Department of Commerce, small business and technology. So I got some government experience and then out of that, I got noticed by uh, corporations in the in the political world needing more help at the state level. And I got hired by 3M to do both sales, uh, branding and some, um, you know, some uh, uh, government relations work. They s- sold a lot of product. And then from there, um, you know, things seem to kind of just uh, breed within themselves in this uh, this arena. Um, I was able to go and uh, get hired ultimately to McDonald's Corporation. And I worked my way up there 
I was there at McDonald's Corporation out of Oak Brook, Illinois. They're down now in downtown Chicago. And I worked there for uh, 20 years, Lee, in, in a diverse group of experiences. I worked in government relations. I opened our first social responsibility group in response to all the groups like PETA and the uh, uh, they used to call them the obesity police and others that targeted McDonald's. And we uh, worked with them. And it was much like a trade association because we like to use our franchisees. Back then, we had 2,300 in every congressional district. So at McDonald's, we sort of worked. We said we were um, a multi-local company, not multinational because of the franchisee model. So I had a good experience with them, good experience with 3M. Uh, a good experience with NFIB, working for the Illinois Retail Merchants Association, which, of course, Chicago's headquarters for many of the largest. But we worked for the largest all the way down to the smallest uh, retailers. And um, then I've done a lot of consulting in between and, and have a rich history of uh, both seeing it from the corporate larger side and then from the people that represent us in the trade associations as lobbyists or consultants um, and, and uh, multi-unit groups like that. Now, for the folks that are in the enterprise level and working for large corporates, can you talk about the importance of associations and how these large enterprises can play a role in really um, helping their entire industry if they lean into associations and really try to, you know, serve them to the best of their ability? I sure will. And if you have a big corporate office or people that are coming up in media relations, public relations, social responsibility, ESR, you name it, um, I have a a significant uh, statement for them. If they don't use trade associations, if they don't use third-party advocates, they're, they're doing their brand an injustice. And that sounds a little harsh, but let me explain my experience with McDonald's. I came into McDonald's, and uh, the first thing I did, I was hired as a government relations specialist because that's where I was coming under. And they wanted me to cover all 50 states, believe it or not. So I said, okay. I sat down and started my process, my inventory. I said, how many state restaurant associations coming from the retail merchants, of course, knowing that uh, Penny's and Sears and um, all the large groups had uh, really formulated all these state retail associations. And we had a coalition of national uh, retail associations. And that was who they had. They hired powerful lobbyists in every state. So to some degree, they could protect their brand, you know, rather than go down and uh, fight an issue that might be uh, a consumer issue, uh, they could have their trade associations doing that and talking from an economic and jobs and other reality. Well, I was told by my leaders at McDonald's, well, we don't join trade associations. At the time, I will say, as the industry leader at that time, long before Apple and others, uh, we battled each year with Coca-Cola to be the world's most recognized trademark. And I guess there was a leftover um, Ray Kroc and Fred Turner, the two founders, sort of, I I call it arrogance, but I have all the respect in the world for them. But they uh, had prohibited 
their uh, GR or communications people from joining trade associations saying, we don't want to share our secrets uh, with other uh, competitors. Um, we are leading the industry. Um, there was one uh, statement somebody made in a meeting to me once that I just grimaced at. Uh, we have everything to teach and nothing to learn. I went about and I realized that I was fighting upstream, uh, Lee. So I quickly uh, developed a strategy and a plan to convince my management team all the way up to the top that not using the restaurant associations was a major mistake for McDonald's, that we were exposing the brand to unnecessary consumer hostility. Um, there's, you know, is there a brand that's more consumer facing every day than McDonald's? And if um, the word got out that we were fighting, let's say, uh, you know, a soda pop tax, or we were fighting um, healthcare benefits, um, they could vote with their feet walking into any restaurant. And the same is true of any retailer and other group. So I started to put together case examples of where we could uh, be much more effective if we worked with our uh, state restaurant associations as opposed to going it alone and, and relying on others. Most at that time, QSRs, we call them quick service restaurants, rather than fast food, it's more appealing, right? So we said, um, you know, if we join these associations, we have the internal expertise that they do not have. We have an obligation to give them that information because these issues do help other companies. And it's just not a McDonald's myopic issue. And as we started to do that and see some success, see some coalition building. Um, I think others in the uh, industry, the QSR industry and others began to realize the importance of that and join their local restaurant association. At first I had some work to do, Lee. Um, we were met as arrogant. We were met as non-team players. Um, and for business to split that way is a very detrimental way to lobby in the state legislature when your opponents are coming in pretty well organized, if that makes sense. Now, when did you start getting traction and then people starting to understand your vision and to start believing what you believe that it helps when we lean into the association and that our work, that it's not kind of a zero-sum game, that we are going to gain more than what we're giving in actuality? So let's take an issue, for example. Let's let's say... Um, uh, a well-intentioned legislator wanted to add a new tax on, I used it before, on uh, 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 beverages. And we had the famous case of uh, Michael Bloomberg as mayor of New York trying to tax uh, uh, big beverages and sugary drinks, thinking he was doing the social good. Well, that was around a lot longer than him, I can tell you. And um, we would... Uh, analyze the tax, we would realize that uh, it might be like a, another sin tax, like cigarettes or uh, other things that legislators go for because they're not as, um, what do you want to say, uh, uh, detrimental to people. We realized early on that people didn't understand the economics um, of these issues. So using our tax department, using our uh, uh, vendors like Coca-Cola, 
several others, we would um, get together with the respective industry groups. And by that, I mean restaurant associations, chambers of commerce. Let's say it's in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, which just repealed after years uh, their syrup tax. It took a broad-based coalition of uh, uh, led by the local um, restaurant and beverage associations um, to really defeat this because the cause that they were paying for was a good one, but it was an inappropriate tax on the consumer. And the consumer was already taxed two, three times on food products on uh, other purchases and like that. And we considered that a regressive tax and you can make a very good case. And this is where I think your message or your question to me about what's the corporate corporate person's job is to realize this is not a tax on a brand, that there is a statement that I would use with many Chicago legislators, and they just shake their head and say, Mike, you're right, but your people don't elect me. When I would say, there's no such thing as a tax on business. We live in a free market uh, uh, enterprise uh, system. Anytime you raise a tax on a product, What does the retailer, what does the wholesaler, what does the restaurant industry have to do? Because they pass it on like a (laughs) small margin. So once we started this effort of a multidimensional group coming together, we found that we could go out and recruit consumers to be a big part of the group. And don't you dare tax my soda. You know, it's bad enough. I have to go. Uh, and and uh, get a value meal for my family to save money, uh, we would say good enough, but it's it's important that I uh, pay as little as much. Every time you pass a tax, it's a double tax to me because of food taxes and that. So that's what I would say for every industry, for every issue almost, even the very complicated issues, you can put together a coalition using that trade association as the lead. And the more you make that trade association strong, the more you bring resources to that trade association, the stronger you help your brand, the stronger that you make it. And then uh, for any corporation that has franchisees or distributors or even sales representatives out in the marketplace, the local, you know, it's all Tip O'Neill used to say it all politics are local. And you want your local uh, franchisee that people see sponsoring the Little League, cleaning up the beach or sidewalk litter, um, participating in the uh, Little League baseball games or uh, litter cleanup drives or whatever. You want that local contact talking to their local legislator and saying this is the problem. And that's the job of associations. And it's multiple voices with the same message. And and I hope we played a role in bringing a lot of groups together once we started joining. I think by the time I left, 20 years later, we had joined just about every state restaurant group. Sometimes we grew, we joined the retail group if it was more powerful, and even local chambers of commerce. Now, if you do that right, can't you really build some true grassroots campaigns like that are organically built from the ground up rather than some of these things that maybe have a big national budget that makes it look like they're a grassroots campaign, but in actuality, they're not. 
That's a great and uh, multi-dimensional question. And you, I get paid by the word in my area of work. So you cut me off if I go too long, but um, Lee, it starts with this Matt uh, uh, legislation uh, legislative support is a game of mathematics and um, a legislator on uh, issues of the day, like abortion or like uh, uh, climate control or other issues get thousands of letters. And many of them are signed postcards that are worthless because they just throw them in a stack. I, I was married to a state Senator for seven years and, and I saw up front how they handled it. But nothing is more compelling to that state senator or that local senator or that congressman or congresswoman or senator than a personal letter on personal uh, stationery um, generated maybe from the trade association, but saying, listen, I'm a member of the community. I pay my taxes. I employ 60 people per restaurant. I uh, uh, contribute to X, Y, and Z organizations. And what you're doing to me will hurt me competitively from the district next to me, the state next to me, and hurt employment and other things. Because we're a, and most people don't realize it. Uh, we're not an oil company. When you're in the uh, retail business or the restaurant business, we don't sell oil and buckets of crude. We, we sell by volume. So the margins are very small, and, and that's what's important. And uh, uh, some of these taxes that people think they can get away with and not address the real issues and, and, and turn uh, a business associations or turn their members into the evil person is a big mistake. And especially in today's world, you know, um, I could go on. Uh, I could I could do that in a second, but I, I'd rather get your follow up before I go into my Europeanization of the United <laughs> States. Sure. Well, let's let's focus in on uh, on the task at hand in terms of what can or what do you recommend um, the association leader in a local market? Let's start there. What could they be doing? better in order to attract some of these larger players that have more resources, maybe deeper pockets, but still serve that individual, the small firm, the boots on the ground guy that, that, um, you know, this is their livelihood and, and some of the ramifications are going to impact that person personally and their family personally. Um, so it, you know, as a leader of an association, especially at the local level, you have to serve multiple constituents. So how do you recommend them kind of threading that needle to serve, um, both the larger corporates and that kind of smaller, uh, boots on the ground where the impact is maybe felt more personally to that person? I'll start in the reverse order of telling you what I think the biggest um, problem if a trade association is experiencing membership from big members or small members dropping off. I'll start with what I think is the biggest uh, miss or the biggest um, uh, mistake of trade associations. Uh, trade associations from their very origin uh, origination 
were created to protect whatever their organizations. Trust me, for every one business trade association, there's two or three consumer trade associations. There's more than that union organizations. There's what I call the built-in anti-marketers that are going to be attacking your members every single day, be it on uh, uh, nutrition, if you're a, a restaurant, be it on uh, price hikes or credit card caps, if you're a retailer, uh, if you're a small manufacturer, they think you're loaded with money and they want to tax you on employees or things of this nature. And I think what has happened, the worst trend with all of the efforts, and I do call it, uh, I heard a wise man say this, it's not my term, um, and I heard it 20 years ago, Lee, so it's not new, what is the Europeanization of the United States. And that is, if you look at the traditional positions of business philosophy and how we were founded and kind of why we left the other countries, is the idea of the power of the individual, the idea of the power of the independent entrepreneur and the independent uh, idea of a market-based philosophy is better than a government-based. Now, you and I know, and I don't say this to be political, we've long lost that war. But um, trade associations are probably on the front lines of changing it. And I think the sin that they make is they see everybody else is going towards this um, you know, new new world order and trying to be uh, socially responsible, transparent, whatever the case might be. And I would tell you that I talked to many trade associations that said, Mike, we have to change here because the, the dynamic is changing in Iowa or the dynamic is changing in New York or wherever. And um, I have to work here every day with these legislators and I said, but what that means is you're capitulating to the idea that the system you defend isn't working. And, for example, just the change of the um, messaging to not go in and apologize for the fact that you represent. Um, uh, I could give you all kind of examples, but a, a restaurant or in the case of a chamber that you represent waste management or in other areas, every one of these areas are doing great things in the social. It's good business, you know, for McDonald's to take many of the social responsibility positions we did working with the environmental defense fund to come up with new ways to create packaging, reduce, reuse, recycle was good business. When we made key announcements, our business would go up. Now, what has happened is I would go to our tax department, say they want to tax X, Y, or Z, and they would sit back and business execs that don't know the political process would say, well, what do you want us to do? I said, no, no, no. Don't, don't take that approach. Tell me what's the best for job growth, economic growth, tax growth in our business and let me put that into messages and go sell that to the legislators. Far too many people are conflict avoidant and are afraid to take a stand. And it's rare uh, anymore 
And, and I'm talking, when I was running the trade associations, it was over 25 years ago, but I found it then. And even when I was hiring independent lobbyists to work for us, I was finding it then. They were more worried about uh, ruining their reputation with a changing philosophy in government than they were with trying to reiterate the importance of it and, and, and business and economic issues. I could go into a, a, a hundred examples, but the bottom line is, if you're not afraid to speak your truth, my mantra at McDonald's was we were off, often hiding because we were, uh, again, before Apple and others, we were the world's most recognized trademark. So it was easy for Teddy Kennedy or you name it to attack our brand. Mario Cuomo stood on the property of a McDonald's restaurant and said, we've got to get rid of this disposable world and get rid of this styrofoam container. And he got uh, nightly news and was all over the place. Next thing you know, McDonald's is a scourge of the environment. And we're fighting for four or five years, bans on polystyrene foam. Um, but if a technical issue like that, you get the facts and you have the company committed to defend what they're doing rather than trying to cut uh, and, and find a uh, solution, you can win the battle. And you can win by making the point you want a landfill that doesn't have leachates and methane gas, and you want inert items in there. And styrofoam is probably one of the best uh, to keep it solid. There's a reason why Chicago's built on a landfill, you know, and there's a reason why they have methane gas and everything else. Biodegradability, we used to have a professor say, is the biggest myth since Santa Claus. Now, I'm not trying to get on to. I'm not trying to get on to uh, one issue at a time. I'm just trying to say the same is true uh, with the new workforce and the different ways that people are bringing in employees. Um, and then legislators try to regulate that you have to have a certain schedule or you have to have certain benefits or whatever. And the HR departments and the government relations departments are afraid to go to their local trade association and say, this is why we're doing it. We have so many single mothers that this is an advantage to them, and this is how it is better for them for business. They rather worry about, you know, um, the, the stimulus coming at them than trying to change, as Stephen Covey told us, the difference between animals and humans is our ability to think between stimulus response. You know, often trade associations will run to us and say, oh, you're going to have to change your X, Y, or Z uh, position because they're introducing legislation. My response would be, why? And they would say, well, they're sponsoring legislation. I said, isn't it a democracy? And whoever wins the argument? So let's go back at them, explain to them why we're doing it. And I think too many business leaders, and I'll take it all the way up to the C-suites, and you see what happens with recent decisions by Coca-Cola, by uh, Delta Airlines, by others. They want to capitulate to what they perceive is the, uh, what should we say, the, the loud minority. And they end up hurting themselves worse. People vote with their feet. You'll never be able to measure how many people didn't go into a McDonald's because we had styrofoam and people were blasting styrofoam. You'll never be able to measure how many people are no longer flying a certain airline because they took a liberal position and I'm not taking sides. 
but because they took a position that they didn't uh, belong in. And that's why you have a trade association to represent you in those issues. And more times than not, uh, Lee, when we did get with the Environmental Defense Fund and say, hey, don't look at what goes out the front of our door. Help us with decisions on what goes out the back of the door, corrugated cardboard, you know, plastic containers. Help us. We came up with a Harvard business case of 60 different ways we could reduce, reuse, recycle that weren't going out the front. And it was less than 1% of a, whatever was in the landfill, those styrofoam containers. Yet we couldn't win the PR war, but we won the government relations war. And what I would say is association management has to be stronger. They have to be more willing to tell the truth. They have to talk about transparency. And they have to go to a company and say, listen, you're going to lose your shirt because they don't understand you if you don't do X, Y, and Z or arm me with those. There might be time for modifications and for compromise. We all, we're all for that. But 90% of the time, the legislator does not understand a PL, does not understand a business issue. And that's what I mean by the Europeanization. We have less business support than ever. And I'm an economic guy. I'm all for it. You know, I'm all for doing the right thing for the environment, doing the right thing for everything. But you don't automatically capitulate to the wrong idea. Yeah. I mean, in your career, you've seen a lot and you have a lot to share with others. And, and something that we've seen over the years when there is lack of context and lack of understanding of the big picture you know, they say history may not repeat itself, but it rhymes. So uh, we're seeing some of the same things happen again and again based on, you know, not optimal information and capitulation. I mean, that's that's happening. That's happened throughout history. So this, say- this notion uh, that you would tell legislators and they would look at you like, you know, you were a cyclops. I'd say there's no such thing as taxing business. All this talk about the corporations don't pay taxes is such malarkey if you add up what they really pay in personnel and property and uh, sales and other taxes. There's no such thing. And people might want to argue with this as a tax on business in a free market enterprise. uh, uh, It's all about margins and the marketplace will take care of it. Why do we have to fight? with all the fast food alley places on a dollar menu or on, you know, a a value menu, it's the marketplace setting those ideas. And so um, Governor Thompson used to like to travel around the state and he was a moderate. So he liked to speak to uh, a Republican, his Republican people. Um, But then he also liked to talk to labor unions and sometimes got criticized. And I loved it. I say, don't walk away from adversity as a trade association, walk right into it and say, we want, we got a point of view we'd like to have heard here and we're going to bring our members. But he used to always say, because Illinois, like California, like so many other states had a terrible workers comp and unemployment insurance and tax environment still does. But um, he would walk in and say, we're trying to improve the business climate. And I pulled him aside one day as an economic advisor, and I said, Governor, why do you keep referring it as the business climate? He goes, what do you mean? I go, isn't it the jobs climate? 
And he looked at me and he was a brilliant man, much smarter than me. And he goes, you know, you're right. You can't tax the job provider. And uh, Illinois, at that time, we were losing manufacturing, basic manufacturing like crazy because of workers' comp and unemployment. And a simple message change, a simple ability, the art of the rhetoric to call it a, a jobs climate uh, makes all the difference in the world. You know, now everybody wants to target business because they're a big monolithic uh, environment. When I testified in front of the FTC, when they were saying Ronald McDonald was no different than uh, um, Joe Camel, I said, I'm here today to represent the more than 10,000 families, mothers and fathers that work for McDonald's Corporation. And I assure you, we have no desire to make the world heavier, provide them with uh, food that is uh, not considered nutritious. It has the basic uh, items. You, you have a lot of people that it's hard to convince, but when you bring in, uh, that's the other thing I recommend to all trade association is bring in your adversaries. The best thing you can do is bring in the adversary. Whenever we did state workshops or a federal workshop around the uh, country, we'd bring in that guy that was introducing the syrup tax, or that was introducing uh, the retail uh, uh, grocery tax or whatever. And we'd have them, by, by talking to our members, they thought they were lobbying us until they start getting a question. And then another question. And then it might be a inner city black from Chicago who would have a black owner operator who was the largest employer in that guy's district go up to him and say, do you understand what your tax on soda or a cheeseburger or um, anything else? Do you know what it means to employment and to what I'm doing in your district? And it makes all the difference in the world. And what you find is people when presented with logical facts prevented with the business case um, are often persuaded in a different way. Just look at some of the changes that has happened. And, and uh, I think, you know, I, I think uh, what's his name from T Tesla is a perfect example. He's, he's not a moderate or a, a liberal or a conservative. He's a common sense guy. And, and that's what uh, trade associations have lost. We retreat, we retreat, we retreat because the majority of legislators are not business oriented, right? We know that. Right. There's very few leaders um, left that would put themselves through those kind of things. So the immediate reaction of the business community is, and the trade association is to retreat and say, let's get the best we can out of this. And it's like, what? Why can't you make the case, you know, and there's a great book, Conflict uh, Politics. If the enemy attacks and pushes you back two steps by criticizing and you retreat and come back with your evidence and they push you back two steps, you retreat and push them back one step. What's their net gain? One step. And they just hurt your business and profitability as opposed to understanding you're the, the job promoter or the job creator. And that's the message I would give to summarize all that 
all my rhetoric is I think trade associations in a way have to adopt that model that so many governors and, and so many others, you know, Trump tried to uh, steal it from Ronald Reagan, but taking back, taking back, you know, what it means to be in, in a free enterprise system and the damage that's done. Now I admit there's things that have to be done to improve uh, working conditions, all that, but uh, not to the magnitude we're seeing nowadays. You know, we're, we're reverting to a system that has failed everywhere else in the world sometimes. And again, I don't mean to be too political. Now, um, I know you've retired uh, for some of your work, but you're still available as a free agent consultant. Is that right? Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I watched too many of my friends and colleagues when they got to be 65 and they thought they could go off and retire and, and play golf and, and, and uh, take their boat out. And within a few years, they were a fraction of themselves. I, I, I am convinced I love it so much, especially being an advocate, especially teaching businesses, trade associations, companies, new ways of going about things, Lee, um, that uh, I will work forever. Uh, it's forever young for me while I compartmentalize. I have the ability to do that. And I like it a lot. And there's this thing that most people don't realize. It was started by Procter & Gamble, and I shamelessly stole it. And it led to one of my biggest promotions at McDonald's. It's called the Idea of Anticipatory Issues Management. And it was created. I got to give her credit. Deborah, if you're out there, um, please call me. Um, I was going to form a business with her one time. She was a PhD in environmental science at 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 um, at uh, uh, PNG, and uh, she realized they were getting killed on uh, things like phosphates from their detergents in the water and things like uh, diapers when the whole solid waste crisis uh, came on. Um, you and I remember when we went out in the backyard and burned our garbage in the United States. I never saw a seagull unless I went to Florida. Now they're everywhere because we bury our garbage. Well, um, she created a model called anticipatory issues management that I pioneered at McDonald's that allows to you to play offense on all issues. And it's there's only four, no matter what company, no matter what association you're in, there's only four elements of every issue. There's the emergence. And that's when you hear your environmental or teacher, uh, you know, the uh, education's talking about this crisis, maybe serious, maybe a Swedish study that's not necessarily germane. Then there's a triggering event. But if you follow the uh, hierarchy, before it becomes a triggering event, you get the media, you get other uh, groups, liberal groups and others starting to repeat, you know, such and such is bad for the world. And then we all know there's no leaders, so the media picks up on it and starts running stories. And then shortly after that, your politicians start trying to affect it with regulatory and legislative policies. And then the next thing, the next, so there's the first step of emergence. Then there's your triggering event. Think of the garbage barge in uh, Long Island Sound that nobody would let uh, uh, dock because they're out of garbage room. And then there's resolution where companies 
invariably on any issue spend millions of dollars in crisis management to solve an issue with big blue ribbon, tan, uh, uh, you know, uh, blue, blue ribbon tables and all that uh, experts. And then there's resolution, uh, the fourth step. And any trade association member ought to look that article up by Deborah Anderson, Anticipatory Issues Management, AIM, ought to ban the word crisis management from their vernacular, same with company PR and other people, and ought to say, how do I take my organization from the emergence to resolution? And what we did is we sat down and looked at every single issue. And McDonald's, when you're the world's industry leader, you could start with uh, packaging. You could go to uh, work and hiring. You could go to employment issues. You could go to environmental issues. You could go down the line uh, to uh, animal welfare We've had to deal with every single one of them, uh, right down to where the symbolic scapegoat, even if we don't produce it, um, they'll come after us in order to put pressure on our suppliers. So you identify all those issues. You identify the top issues that are the most important. And then you engage and find out from influencers. And sometimes that means talking to your adversaries. And we did form organ, uh, meetings with the environmentalists. I did talk to PETA for two years about animal welfare policies and what we did. Hired Temple Grandin, uh, the, the autistic uh, PhD from uh, Arizona that showed us how to handle cattle and uh, chickens and others in a more humane way. Um, and we met with them when we talked about policies and procedures, and we came up with many solutions, like I told you about in the environment. And that's, that's going out and targeting problems that you know. We used to say at McDonald's, the fans are always on, just waiting for the catch-up to hit them. And our job was to get the resolution before we went to the triggering event and crisis management. Does that make sense? Yeah, Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. If somebody wants to connect with you, is LinkedIn the best way to do that? Sure. I, you know, I'm a, a kind of a hybrid of old school with my uh, tried and true business practices. And then there's few people that have pioneered innovative solutions to deal with the world we're dealing with today and the change of uh, national psychology or philosophy and so I, I have a perspective from either end of the continuum. But like I said, uh, they can go to my LinkedIn. They can go uh, to Facebook. Um, uh, is it all right if I give my telephone number? Sure, whatever you'd like. 630-441-8080. I'm affiliated with a couple of uh, great associations here in the Chicago area. So I have supporting uh, uh, crew on, on issues in that, but anything in public affairs, social responsibility, the culture, you know, they had it right when they said culture eats strategy for breakfast or lunch. And not enough people think about their culture. And everybody um, from John Deere to a, a 20 employee uh, manufacturer in the city of Chicago should be educating their employees so they're not taking the uh, basic headline, you know, the opposition position and transparency is the key to all this. You know, 
transparency, and then anticipatory management and walking into adversity. Those are the, the biggest things that I could say. Well, Michael, thank you so much again for sharing your story. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. Happy to help any way I can, Lee. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Association Leadership Radio.